0: We just want to thank you for your goodness. We want to thank you for saving us, for leaving heaven's glory to die on an old rugged cross that we may join you in heaven someday. We thank you for answering our prayers and caring for us and allowing us to care for others. And Lord, in so many situations where we can do absolutely nothing, we thank you that we can do the most wonderful thing in the world. We can pray. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this wonderful gift called prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. It was my place to uh, upbraid an older man in the ministry. But he said, now, Pete, you've got to understand something. The ministry is marketing. And the marketing is ministry. Our product is Jesus. Jesus. And depending on how you sell him and, and, and present him to the world will be the success of your ministry. May I challenge you that that is walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Right. You want to know why I harp on Rick Warren's book The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. It's not because... If we got that book and started putting some of those principles in that book to practice, let me tell you something, our attendance would go up. We would have more people in here, but we would also cease being a church. Because, see, a church is the body of Christ, responsible only to Christ. A purpose-driven church is only a halfway church. Yes, God wants to fix your life. But that's not the goal. That's a byproduct. He wants to use your life to serve him. And before God can get glory from who and what you are, he's got to fix it. Amen. Uh, But the fixing of your life is not the end goal. God does not want to give you what's in your heart. It's deceitful, it's desperately wicked, it's deceitful above all things. God wants to give you what is in His heart. And so it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I heard the story, this was a little over a year ago, one of these churches that went progressive, and they got them a real good rock band in there, and I mean, their attendance went up, and of course, all the people that, believe the way we did, left the church, and I guess that's part of the process. And uh, they had 500 people leave their church at one time and go to another church across town. You know why? The other church had a better rock band. I kid you not. If you're going to go to the world and get their instruction on how to run your church guess where your church was going to end up? In the world. How many of you remember James Dobson, the Christian psychologist? I would have never believed this quote, except I was just plumbing through the radio one day and something stopped me, and I listened to him make this statement. Somebody had written him a letter, Dear Brother Dobson, what do you believe about baptism?" Here was his answer, paraphrased, but pretty close to word for word as I can remember it listening to the radio. That's a theological question. I'm not a theologian. I'm a psychologist. If I want an answer to a theological question, I would ask my friend Chuck Swindoll, who is a theologian, and he would answer that question. By the way, Chuck Swindoll does not know what the Bible says about baptism. But anyway, we'll keep moving. And he said, God has trained me to be a psychologist. And so I can help you with your interpersonal relationships and raising your children and how to have a godly family. But a theological question like baptism ought to be answered by theologians. How many of you got what he really said? What I got didn't come from the Bible because I'm not smart enough to understand the Bible. I can help you. By the way, how you raise your kid, kids, that's a theological question, my friend. Amen. How you get along with other people, that's a theological question because my understanding of who God is determines, ought to determine how I treat other people. Now, I'm not just trying to harp on everybody that's wrong. But there's too many Christians that rely on the counsel of the ungodly and then wonder why things don't turn out. I've heard preachers, and I've read in commentaries, and my blood pressure goes up every time I read, Uh, It's it's it goes something like this. In fact, I'll I'll give you an example out of Psalm 2. Verse 9 says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And and I heard a a fellow preaching on this very passage a little while ago, and he made the comment that David was alluding to the tradition of the Pharaohs who would take a vessel and use it to represent their enemies and smash it with a rod. Do you think David, an ignorant shepherd in the hill country of Judah, knew what Pharaoh did in his palace when he got mad at an enemy? And by the way, do you think the God of heaven cared enough about what that wicked Pharaoh did to give David inspiration, to copy Pharaoh in the word of God? Does that make sense to anybody? It bothers me. Maybe Pharaoh did that. But God was just alluding to what happens. How many of you have ever had one of those little clay pots that you put your plants in and you dropped it? Can you repair a clay pot? No, crazy glue don't work. In fact, you can glue it back together again, but you're going to see every crack. You're going to see every line. You cannot repair a potter's vessel that has been broken. And this is what God says. I'm going to shatter the strength of the enemy, just like what happens when you're clumsy in the kitchen and drop a pot. It cannot be repaired. It cannot be put together And who cares what Pharaoh did or didn't do in his palace room? Am I just harping on my horses or can I get an amen for that? We don't need the world. And God does not copy the world. Jesus did not quote from the Septuagint. Jesus was the author of the scriptures, my friend. And if when you read your translation of the Hebrew Bible, it differs a few words from what Jesus said, uh, could we not defer to the author? Because you'll find that not one thought and not one idea changed when Jesus quoted the Bible compared, though there are different words in the Old Testament And in the New Testament. We do not need the world to help us understand God. We do not need the world to help us serve God. In fact, if you want to understand the world, go to the Bible first And all of a sudden, what they do in the world will start making sense. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not let sinners tell you how to think. Amen? Then it says... Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now this may seem a little strange, but every time I read this phrase, I pick up some really weird stuff listening to the radio. And this lady was trying to quit smoking. And she was having a tough time of it. It was in the fall of the year must have been out in the country somewhere. Her neighbor had just raked all the leaves up into a pile in the backyard and was burning them. And she said, I hadn't had a cigarette in a week, and I was dying. I just wanted that cigarette so bad, and my neighbor was burning his leaves, so I just went over there to smell the smoke. Uh, Do you think that helped her quit cigarette smoking? No. by the way, uh, cigarette smoking makes me ill, so I, I don't know about this, but I, I still think that the tobacco is a whole lot better than your neighbor's rotting leaf pot. We as Christians do some of the dumbest things known to mankind. Because we're not gonna sin. But we're gonna stand close enough to smell the smoke. And it's not even good smoke. That's what Psalmist is talking about. Standing in the way of sinners. Do you know what happens when you stand in the way of sinners? you get run over by the sinners. Because they're going somewhere. They've got things to do. You are not going to participate with them because you are a Christian. But there's some pervient desire in our old sinful flesh that wants what they have. And we know we can't have it but we'll stand close enough to where we can think about it a little while. And what's going to happen is you're going to get run over. Either that, or you're going to join the sinners and walk on down the road with them. That's a tragedy. It said, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And here is the worst one of all, nor sitteth in the seat... Of the scornful. I remember hearing the testimony of a preacher. He said, I just can't imagine how anybody could involve themselves in immorality. And he went on and on and on and on and on and on. Calling them every name in the book and doing everything. Telling how horrible it was. And it wasn't too long before he was out there with them committing immorality. He was sitting in the seat of the scornful. Let me tell you, sin is dangerous stuff. And by the way, God doesn't need you to figure out how bad sin is. Years ago, we got ourselves into a difficult situation. It was a, friend of a friend, a son, actually, of a preacher that I knew well and uh, called me up and and said, you know, we're bringing our, our, our group up and, and we, we want to do work in New York City. Peter might remember this. They were mimes for Jesus. I kid you not. Now, whenever I see a mime, I only think of one thing in my sinful heart, and that's a baseball bat. But... Uh, I want that invisible door to hurt. Uh, But they had this little routine, and and I said, Brother, you didn't tell me about this. And he said, Well, you need to understand that this is a, a ministry that really helps people understand what sin is. And I had to look at him and I said, this is New York City. Everybody here knows what sin is. That's what this place is about. You know something? We have to be careful. You're not going to encourage people by sitting above them and looking down on them. One of the greatest difficulties we've had in this city since 9-11 is people standing around the pit, as they used to call it, grieving the loss of their loved one, and somebody coming up and trying to give them a track with a picture of the burning buildings on it. Could I challenge you that doesn't work? You wouldn't stand in line at a funeral and pass out tracts to the people who are going to the cemetery. At least I hope no one in this building would do that. We need to understand that sometimes our actions are attributed by the world as being scornful toward them. And God never called you to judge sin. He's already told us what is sin in the Bible. And he's told us not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, not to stand in the way of sinners, nor to sit in the seat of the scornful. But now we're going to give you things to do. His delight is in the law of the Lord. I love that word delight. How many of you delight in a good cup of coffee? I mean, we're not talking about some halfway thing. I mean a good cup of real coffee, just hot, Fixed just right, unless it, unless it's iced, but not Laodicean amen. Nothing, none of this lukewarm stuff. And you can sit there and just enjoy that cup of coffee. I mean, sometimes when I'm studying and doing bookwork and things, I'll just get up and I'll come. My wife will say, uh, "Listen, I can make you a cup of coffee." Well, you don't understand. I need a walk. I just want to think about something else for a few minutes and walk down and think about the coffee and get the and just take a little break. When's the last time you've ever done that with God's word? When has it been like a sweet pastry that nobody else knows you have? That's what the word delight means, amen. When has been the last time you looked at the Word of God as a special treat? You know, as a pastor, my duty, my work is about this book, and sometimes, if I'm not careful, I gotta get another sermon. Oh man, I I gotta have something to say. They're, they're expecting something. That's not delight, my friend. And when this book ceases to be a delight, we're losing God's blessing on our life. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And by the way, if you really delight in something, what do you do? You try to get it in your schedule as often as you can you know you have to have your morning cup of coffee and then you have to have your mid-morning coffee break and then of course a little coffee with lunch never hurt anybody but then you need an afternoon pick me up and by that time it's supper and then after dinner if you don't have a good strong cup of coffee to cut all the dinner stuff I mean you could you can really get into that stuff and if you're not a coffee drinker I'm sorry I am not addicted I just like coffee amen no The simple truth of the matter is, if I delight, if my delight is in the word of God, in the law of the Lord, I'm going to meditate in it day and night. I'm going to think about it. Every time I read the word meditation, I hope you don't mind hearing this story again, but when we lived in the old apartment, our church was just starting and the just had run into some family they knew in Washington State. My wife will remember this story. And mom wrote us a letter and said, there's somebody living in your apartment building whose sister attends this such and such a church. And so, of course, went up there and dutifully rung the doorbell, and this thing answered the doorbell. Uh, I don't know what you would describe him as. Uh, it was quite interesting. I thought I was in West Virginia or something. And I looked like a mountain man. And he said, Hi. I said, Hi. I said, I'm Pastor Pete Montoro from Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And your sister attends a church. Oh, no, not another one of those. You're the preacher, right? He said, I'm a Buddhist. I said, You don't look like a Buddhist. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, I'm the best Buddhist you'll ever meet. He said, I can meditate about absolutely nothing. He said, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, that's right. When I think, I like to think about something. He said, I can empty my mind till there's nothing in it. I'm just sitting there going, you look like you do that very well. Oh, my. Who says you can't have fun being a Christian, amen? I'm glad when God told me to meditate, he told me to meditate on something. Instead of emptying myself out, I'm supposed to fill myself up. I mean, it was just amazing. And there was no way to witness to this man whatsoever. There was no way to get the gospel in at all. There was nothing there. He had meditated until there was nothing there. If I delight in the law of the Lord... I'm going to meditate in His law day and night. Do you know there's not a question you need an answer to that you can't find the answer in the Word of God. Meditate in God's Word. And by the way, let's just touch on this. I know I use a little sarcasm and try to paint foolishness as foolishly as i can but this is god's love letter amen. and if you don't understand about god's love you're not understanding about this book amen. god loves souls amen and there are very few problems you face in this life that a little bit of God's love applied in the right place won't solve the problem. Yeah. Amen? You see, that's why my delight is in the laws of the Lord. It's His love that tells me what is wrong and what is right. God calls sin, sin, because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Amen? Amen? Isn't that true? And God wants to keep me from sin so that I can be useful to Him. So that I can have those blessings. You see, we like verse 3. We like to read it. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and we go. Well, yeah, yeah. That that. Here's the part I like. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Prosper has dollar signs connected to it, my friend. No. This is not name it and claim it. You see. This idea of being a tree planted by the rivers of water is roots that run deep, so that even in the drought, when the river dries up, guess what? That tree has still has water. I remember it was the year we were, yeah, it was the year we got married, I believe. We drove across Pennsylvania. I was actually traveling with her family for a little bit. This was sometime in June or... And the corn was only two feet tall. And the fields were all brown. It was drought. There had been no rain. And then all of a sudden you'd see a little patch of green winding through white. Because that's where the stream was. In Pennsylvania, that's where the creek was. It was still watering that portion. You see, the idea of a tree planted by the rivers of water is that in its season, you'll notice it uses that personal pronoun that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. God has different things for each one of us to accomplish in His own timing. You get those roots down deep in the Word of God and you will bring forth what God wants you to bring forth when God wants you to do it. It's talking about permanence. His leaf also shall not wither. Now let me ask you a question. Unless you're in a fairy tale, do trees move around very much? Uh, No, they're stuck, aren't they? You see, this idea of whatsoever he doeth shall prosper is connected to the idea of the tree. As long as the tree stays rooted the tree is going to prosper. But trees only do one thing. If they're a fruit-bearing tree, they bear fruit. And this is the result of God's blessing. Now, I'll tell you what, we need. each one of us here needs to take a look. Are we bringing forth the fruit that God wants us to bring forth? If not then we better check where we're planted. If not, we better go back to verse 1. Am I walking in the counsel of the ungodly? Am I standing in the way of sinners? Am I sitting in the seat of the scornful? Is my meditation truly in the law of God day and night? Is it my delight? And I don't know about you, but I could use some improvement on that. How about you? You see, that's where the blessings are. And God wants us to understand that that's where the blessings are. Verse 4 just simply says, the ungodly are not so. Why are the ungodly not so? Because they're not blessed. Why are they not blessed? Because they're doing the very things they should not be doing and they're not doing the very thing they should be doing. And so therefore they're unstable. They get blown around by the winds. And eventually they are no more. How many of you have heard of Emperor Nero? Everybody's heard of him, right? Do you know that his building plans and programs were some of the most dynamic things that had ever been developed in history? But what happened? Well, he decided that Rome needed to be burned to the ground so it could be rebuilt. And now, people won't name their dog Nero. He was the most powerful man in the world at his time. Of course, he was crazy. You have to be crazy to burn down half a city and kill thousands and thousands of people just so you can do block-by-block renovation. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. We could list ungodly names Could we not? They do not hold sway. It says, The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know what? The ungodly cannot stand. And we hear this we hear this plea. Who are you to judge me? How many of you have ever been had that one throwed your direction? Yeah, I'm not judging you. Oh, yes, you are. You said that what I do is sin. He said, no, I didn't say what you do is sin. You just did. He said, wait a minute. God said what you are doing is sin. Don't get mad at the signpost. There are those who would cut the signpost down, but that doesn't change the directions, now does it? They cannot stand to have the difference between right and wrong and everything else falls. They shall not stand in the judgment and they shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. There are many people who pretend, who who, uh, talk about being righteous and talk about doing right. But they're not going to stand because they're not meditating in the word of God. They're going to be driven away by the winds and the storms of this life. See, verse 6 is a wonderful verse. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. You know what? He knows where I'm going. He knows the order of my life. He is familiar. Why? Because my life is based on His Word. Amen? As it is based on his word, I'm going to obey him. I'm going in the path that he has prescribed. God knows the way of the righteous. By the way, how many righteous have given their lives in obedience to the scriptures over the years? Only God knows that number. As far as I know, there are still people in the remnants or the renamed uh, we should say soviet gulags and their only crime was wanting to preach a sermon that hadn't been approved by communist party pastor that was the cold war that was years ago yeah but the door, the gates are still locked and the people are still in them did they lose No. The Lord knows where they are. He knows the suffering they endure. And we'll have to trust that one to God. Amen. You see, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. It looks like the bad guys are going to win. And by the way, as you think about candidates and all of that thing for the office of president, could I just remind you of something? A flawed and sinful people are going to promote flawed and sinful candidates. We've often given the example of the rat race. Hey, it's your duty to pick the best rat That's what we've got to do as citizens. But my duty to my country can be best fulfilled if I will walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, if I will not stand in the way of sinners, if I'll not sit in the seat of the scornful, if I'll meditate in God's law day and night, the blessings that God puts upon my life are going to be a benefit to the nation and the city in which I live. Amen? If you want to impact this city, live a Psalm 1 life. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't get close enough to the sinners to smell the smoke. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful and talk about how bad it is. Meditate in His law. Make His law your delight. That's where the blessings are. That's where the roots are going to dig deep. That's where you're going to be planted firmly and securely. And God will use you to bring forth His fruit in His time. It's God's love letter is the word of God. And if we'll just get a hold of it. We won't be like the ungodly. There are churches that have closed. Because people in them have not followed the admonition of Psalm 1. And the church was emptied. And the doors closed. And that was it. We, we need to take heed because it looks like the enemy is one. Let me tell you something. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would make the words of this psalm real in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to meditate more and more To fill our souls with your word to the point that it just seeps out the cracks. Lord, if there's any time our country needs blessed Christians within its border, it's today. Lord, let us not be among those who would sit and point out all the faults. Let us meditate in thy law. Teach us to delight in thy words. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. And we'll give you a moment.